0: As if the McCrispie couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, Available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: With five seconds, he's going to throw it. Howard leaps, he has it! Touchdown, Carolina,
2: back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go.
1: Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good! And Big it's Barler <laughs> with yes, a
3: sir. 54-yard field goal, and how about them Tar Heels? They do it! Here's Cupack. Gives off to Amos. And he's
0: gotta be taken. He's incredible. Unbelievable.
2: Unreal. Jordan back to kick. It's blocked again. Picked up. It'll be a touchdown, Carolina, for Bracey Walker. He blocks his second punt and scores his second touchdown of the season. It's
4: 14 to 13. Mr. Jordan meets Mr. Walker. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side, Geo at the thirty-five. Geo, he's at the fifty. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Geo, he's
0: gonna take it for a touchdown. Are you
1: kidding me? This is the Heel Tough Blog podcast on Spreaker.com. Welcome to the Heel Tough Blog Podcast 2018 Season Preview Show. I'm Anthony Pegnata. With the Tar Heel football season just two days away, we asked the journalists closest to the team five simple questions to help us get a feel for just how the team will be able to respond from last season. Starting us off, we'll be one of the newer guys to the Tar Heel beat. As many of you know, News and & Observer's Andrew Carter covered his last Carolina football game last fall. Taking his place this season on the Tar Heel beat will be Jonathan Alexander, and we got a chance to sit down and hear what he thinks about the team he will be covering this season. Okay. All right, man. So, yeah, uh, sitting here with uh, Jonathan Alexander of News and Observer, of course, the guy that will be covering the Tar Heels this season, taking over for Andrew Carter. So, uh, we're, we're at that time of the year, finally. Tario football season is actually here. So now it's time to discuss this team, you know, what, what exactly this team's going to be because fall camp is over. So now when we look at it, you know, I, I think where we got to start is, is offensively. When we, when we take a look at this team, last year was probably the worst offensive year that we've had under Larry Fedora. Um, I think everybody can agree with that. The question is, you know, how does this team return to that offensive I wouldn't say powerhouse, but really, at least during the last two years prior to last year, a team that was was winning with offense, and and I mean, you know, 19 wins in in two years was pretty good. How how did they get back to that level of offense that they saw during that time?
5: I I think there are three things that you have to look at. First, um, you know, where UNC struggled. And they were particularly where UNC struggled last year. And then it started with the quarterback play. Mm-hmm. And you had Chad Surratt and Nathan Elliott and Brandon Robinson, who all struggled. Um, they were all, I would say, inexperienced. Um, they had accuracy issues. Um, so this year, you know, Nathan Elliott has played. He has a lot more experience. He has to be a lot better than he was this year, even though he got those two out of three wins and played well against Miami. He has to be really good this year. And second, you, the offensive line play. You got a brand new offensive line. Uh, only one returner, and Charlie has mm-hmm. these guys have to gel well, and they have to give Nathan Elliott time in the pocket. Um, you know, he can't be running for his life back there. Uh, he's not mobile like Chad Serrat is. Uh, so they have to give him pocket. They also they have um, they have to um, give him time. They also have to open up holes for the running backs. You know, the running back core is really talented this year. You got Michael Carter, and you have Jordan Brown, who was to well last year for UNC. Mm-hmm. And then you got the addition of Antonio Williams, Ohio State transfer, who everybody is raving about. Says he's going to be good. Um, so if you give those guys holes, they can run through it. And then last, you, need, you have Anthony Ratliff-Williams. Everybody loves him. He's looking good in, in summer camp who's going to be the guy outside of Anthony Ratliff-Williams who's going to help him whenever he's double-teamed? Somebody has to be a consistent presence outside of Ratliff-Williams. And I think those past UNC teams have had really good wide receivers, you know, been stacked at the wide receivers so they can throw the ball and a really good quarterback who can hit them. And in order for them to have been good, they had to have good offensive line too. So you have to have all of those three things, I believe.
1: So, you know, the defense last year took a step forward. I think, you know, there were some signs at times that the run defense was starting to come around. You know, how does this defense take another step forward this season?
5: Well, they're really, I think, I was looking and I think 11 uh, players are returning who started at least one game. And... They've got to
2: use that experience and that heart that they played with last year, take it into this year. I think the defense is going to be the strongest part of this team because of this experience. That defensive
5: line, you got Jalen Dalton, Aaron Crawford, Malik Carney, Tom and Fox. That defensive line has the potential to be special when they all get back. Of course, some of them are suspended, but they're staggered. When they all get back, that defensive line has the potential to be special. And they they like the depth behind them as well. Um, and then you got your your secondary and you have returns like J.K. Britt K.J. Sells who they really like and uh, Miles Dorn mm-hmm. um, and then you got your linebacker Cole Holcomb and Jonathan Smith they like him um, so they just have to perform like they know how to perform I think they will because of that experience and I think the offense just has to keep the defense off the field like you can't you know go three and out and mm-hmm. then have a defense come back on the field and get tired and then the offense the opposing offense wears them down. So I think you got to give your defense a chance and let them let them perform.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I always felt like uh, you know that that was kind of a problem especially during the Vic Coning era where you know the defense was kind of rushed back out there too quick because of the pace of the offense and yeah, last year that that was one of the main issues as well because the offense was so ineffective. You know, There's always players that end up emerging in fall camp. Who is that guy that going into this year, you know, just from maybe being out there at some of these fall practices, that you think is going to take a step forward and have a big year that maybe a lot of people aren't talking about? You
5: know, I think a lot of people aren't talking about. You know, a lot of people are talking about Malik Carney and Anthony Ratliff-Williams, and I think those two players are going to have big years for UNC. Uh, But a lot of people aren't talking about Jalen Dalton, which I'm surprised about. Jalen Dalton had about eight tackles for losses. He's a senior now, Mm -hmm. huge guy, 6'6", 300 pounds, had eight tackles for losses last year and three sacks. Uh, I can easily see him taking a step up and being a big factor, and I'm, I'm really surprised that people haven't been talking about him really.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think part of that may may be because of the injury, but um, yeah, no, I I think uh yeah, that's that's an interesting one. He was a guy that really in the snaps that he saw last year, he dealt with some injury issues and uh also uh, you, you know, had a couple of uh of penalties that I, I think, you know, a lot of people probably saw as one of the reasons why Strobridge took over for him for a little while. But yeah, no. I, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, so I agree. I I definitely agree that yeah, I think he's uh, one of those guys to definitely keep an eye on, and and just about anybody on that defensive line is a great pick. So, um, sure. you know, what is your official record prediction as of right now for the Tar Heels? Like, if you had to look at that at that schedule, where where do you see them this this season? So I looked
5: down at the schedule. I haven't done my let me see my predictor. Um, and they have a pretty favorable home schedule. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it depends on who's going to come out, but because of this uncertainty on offense, and I don't know how these suspensions will affect them. I'm seeing them going, uh, I believe six and six. Okay. Um, they have the potential to do better depending on how these home games play out. and, And if they can overcome these suspensions, but I'm, I'm looking at about six and six, but I won't be surprised if they finish, um, seven and five. Uh, I'll be a little surprised if they finish eight and four, but I won't be shocked. And, and, and if, if things just go bad, I, you know, they could
1: finish even worse than six and six, but I'm going to say six and six. Okay. Yeah. Um. And then, I mean, the final question, I, I think this is, you know, the one that, that ultimately a lot of people are going to be looking at when it, when it comes to the, you know, season ending Uh. That, that's going to be the storyline, you know, is, Larry Fedora, the head coach of this team in 2019, when we start the season,
5: uh, I think it depends a lot on you know how well he does this year. I think his buyout is, is is pretty is pretty sizable that they wouldn't want to do that unless he unless something happened with the program where they got in trouble and he just finished terribly and the public uh, it was just too much for the public where they would be calling for his firing. I don't see right now him being fired, but things can change quickly depending on the public perception. But as of right now, I don't see him uh, being fired. I don't think they'll be that bad this year, and I think he'll earn himself another year.
1: All right. Jonathan Alexander of News & Observer, thanks for coming on with us, man. This was fantastic. And, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, keep up the work you guys are doing down there. And, uh, you you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully talk to you sometime down the line, okay? Definitely. Thanks for having me. All right, man. From one rookie to another, Chris Trenkel takes over for Chapel Fowler this season as the sports editor over at the Daily Tar Heel. And that means early in the year, much of his focus will be on the Tar Heel football team. Here's what he had to say when we spoke to him on Wednesday. Yeah, man. So thanks for uh, stepping on. And uh, yeah, now uh, we we can definitely uh, talk a little bit of Tar Heel football. Definitely excited um, to have you on. You know, uh, we've had some... uh, So some of the different guys on and uh, you're one of the newer guys. So, you know, talk first really quickly about, you know, the experience of being able to cover uh, the Tar Heel football team this season.
6: Right. Um, You know, funnily enough, I was with Daily Tar Heel last year, but I didn't get an opportunity to cover to the team in person. Um, It's something that I'm really looking forward to for this year. It's been really interesting, you know, covering media availability, Covering the press conference following the announcement of the 13 guys that were suspended, excuse me, uh, suspended, um, and covering right after training camp. You know, the biggest thing for me, Anthony, is that this team has a lot of optimism. Uh, This is not the same group that was there last year. It's a very different mindset. Everybody's looking forward to just getting out there, starting out the gate fresh, getting a win. Um, so that, that's something that's been really interesting to watch, I'd say.
1: Yeah, I I think that's uh, definitely something that the coaching staff has kind of been telling us. You know, Larry said it last night on uh, his show with, uh, with Jones Angel on the Tar Heel Sports Network that, you know, he's – Never really seen a bunch that's come in this revved up for training camp and ready to go. So that's good to hear, you know, that these guys are, are staying optimistic after a 3-9 and nine season that for most programs, you know, could be something that could, you know, deter these guys. Um, you know, I, I want to start by asking you about the offensive side of the football. You know, last year was, uh, it was easily the worst year offensively under Larry Fedora and you know, I, I think that was in part because of injuries and consistencies on the offensive side of the football. But you know the question is how did this, how does this team get back to being that type of offense that can win this team games? maybe not as good as the 2015 offense or sixteen offense, but just a unit that you know you can trust can get you enough points to maybe put you in a bowl game
3: right well.
6: The big thing for me is taking as much pressure as you can off of Nathan Elliott. Um, he, he's still a guy that is relatively raw in terms of game experience. Um, you know, he threw for 10 touchdowns last year, only five interceptions, but he's still a pretty fresh, excuse me, fresh face out there. So I think it's important to really rely on this. Stout running attack that they have, uh, you know, Antonio Williams Jordan Brown uh, Michael Carter's gonna be out week one But when he returns he's gonna provide a big boost uh, He obviously led the team in rushing touchdowns last year and then Javonte Williams uh, who, Who's a first-year is another guy that's really impressed people in camp uh, a lot of people are talking about and then obviously Anthony Ratliff Williams. Uh, he's a guy that They talk about uh, the players in every practice. He makes a play where people are just like wow I mean, this guy is special. We saw it last year, 35 catches, 630 yards, mm-hmm. you know, six receiving touchdowns, and I've talked to him a lot. Uh, I've talked to his his father. I've talked to his high school coach. I mean, this guy is hungry. He's ready to go out there and just, you know, prove it, improve his draft stock, and he's he's going to be a big part of this team's success. Um, you know, I think if, if the team can just rely on the rushing attack, if they can rely on Anthony Ratliff-Williams, you know, Daz Newsome, going to have a, a big year, I think, uh, after a, a solid season last year. Uh, Bo Corrales, when he comes back from suspension, is going to be big, too. Um, so just taking as much pressure off of Elliott, I think, is, is really key, especially early on.
1: Something that should definitely help that is the fact that the defense might be the most talented that we've seen in Chapel Hill in a while. You know, they took a step forward, I think, overall as a unit last year. The defensive backfield, I think, may have taken a little bit of a step back. But I thought overall as a unit, they were a lot they, they were better than they were the year before. The question is, how do they take that next step forward this season?
6: Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a, a good question. I think the biggest thing has to be uh, run defense. You know, I mean, the, the pass defense was not really bad at all last year. You know, you're only giving up. Uh, roughly you know, under 250 yards a game, something like that. But when you're giving up over 200 yards a game on the on the ground, it really makes it tough. Uh, so I think the biggest thing is the linebacking core. Um, Dominic Ross and John Smith are two other guys that Fedora has harped on that have really played well. And obviously, Cole Holcomb. Uh, outside linebacker, you know that guy's led the team in tackles last season. Had uh, 93. I think he could very well break that 100 threshold this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I one group I'm really interested in is is the secondary. Yeah, obviously you got KJ Sales back there. Patrice Rene is a guy that uh, a lot of the teammates talk about how talented he is. If he can just put it all together on a consistent basis. Um, CJ Cotman has really stepped forward. I think they're expecting big things from him, potentially playing as, as a nickelback. Uh, and, and JK Britt and Miles Dorn, you know, at, at the safety positions are, are going to be really, really uh, solid, I think. You know, I think they'll uh, have improved from, from last season. You know, obviously the biggest question mark is the defensive line, which was expected to be maybe the biggest strength on of the team. Uh, Jalen Dalton's been injured throughout camp. We'll see how much he plays on Saturday. Uh, the team does have Taman Fox and Malik Carney uh, mm-hmm. for this week. So I think just moving forward, if, if guys can step up uh, with the absence of Aaron Crawford, Jeremiah Clark um, is, is one guy that, that uh, the teammates have been excited about. Alan Cater's another guy. So if these players can, can step up, too, you know, I mean, this, this defense is, has the potential to be really solid. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, you know, you look at the camp standouts, and as you said, you know, Anthony Ratliff Williams is a guy that is always getting talked about. Antonio Williams is a guy that we've seen up there a lot. Um, you know, who is the guy right now that you're kind of seeing? Maybe it's a guy that you've seen when you've been out there, or maybe it's a guy that some of these other players are talking about that really the media is not you're really talking about a ton that you think will be a household name by the end of the season
6: well that's that's a very good question um i think one guy who at least early on could really impress some people is Javante williams uh Mm -hmm. the first year running back but you know somebody else who i know daz Newsom's getting some attention but i i think he should be getting even more attention than he is i mean this guy really really could be good this year uh you know as a possession receiver as a guy that can get a lot of first downs for this team i think by the time the season is done, uh, he and Anthony Ratliff Williams will, will definitely be one of the better one-two punches for receiver in the ACC. Um, and once Corrales comes back, it also just takes some attention away from from Newsom. Uh, but I, I really expect big things from him. And I, uh, based on what you know, I've, I've heard from Anthony Ratliff Williams, he's he's impressed too. Uh, I think that's a
1: that's a big sign. As we sit just a few days away from the season, I don't know if you're one of those guys that likes to give record predictions or not. Um, but if it, you know, if you had to, what would you say at this point you foresee the record being for the Tar Heels this season?
4: Right. Well, uh,
6: you know, I, I think predictions are a lot of fun. And they usually make me look bad, but <laughs> I,
1: uh, I <laughs> they make us all look bad. So. Yeah, right.
6: I don't see any reason why this team doesn't get to a bowl game this year. Okay. I think, I think seven and five or six and six is, uh, is definitely attainable. Mm -hmm. You know, eight wins might be stretching it, but look, they they have consistent play right now under quarterback, really good running backs. The offensive line is a little bit better than I think people are giving it credit for because it is less experienced, but you have one of the top playmakers in the ACC and ARW, um, the guy is, is, is so talented. And then defensively, I think that the defense will, will give a lot of help for this team. You know, what's, what's going to, I think, really dictate the path of this season is how the team plays against Cal. Not necessarily going out there and, you know, making it a must-win game, but... You want to just see the team going out there playing well and at least making it a really close game, which you know I think is definitely possible. I think the team could potentially win the game, and I know they've they've really been looking forward to this game. I mean, they've been talking about it all camp.
1: So you've got the team making a bowl game, six and six or seven and five. So the question is, when we start the 2019 season, basically when we're sitting in the same spot that we're sitting today. Do you think that Larry Fedora is the head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels?
6: Yes, I think Larry Fedora will be the head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels. I know he's ruffled some feathers with his CTE comments, um, but Bubba Cunningham likes Larry Fedora. It's it's his guy. Uh, he got a big extension. It's It would be a $16 million buyout for the university to – Uh, you know, fire him, Um, and, and, you know, I think, especially if the team makes a bowl game this year, I think people can forget a lot from last season with all the injuries that the team had and and so forth, but he's got a, a really good recruiting class coming in. It's top 25, and I think people are willing to to see what happens this year. And I see the year going at least decently well. I think Fedora will keep his job going into next season.
1: All right. Chris Trinkle of the Daily Tar Heel. Uh, tell them where they can follow you at, man. You're a little bit new. So, uh, yeah, let's get some of those followers for you.
6: Right, absolutely. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Trinkle 2. So that's C-H-R-I-S-T-R-E-N-K-L-E 2. And you can also find us on Daily Tar Heel. We have our football preview coming out on Friday. We're very excited about it. We've got a lot of positional breakdowns. I've got an Anthony Ratliff-Williams feature that's a really touching story, I think. You know, i spent a lot of time talking with him, his dad, his, his high school coach, Brian Hales. I'm really looking forward to it, but mm-hmm. I really appreciate you having me on, Anthony. I'm happy to come on uh, anytime.
1: All right, man. Hey, great to hear Yeah, We'll definitely have to have you on back down the line. And yeah, thanks for, uh, for finding some time for us. I know you, uh, you, you know, you're a busy man, so, uh, keep it up and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, i know you're looking forward to, uh, this season. So, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. All right, man.
6: All right. Sounds good.
1: Take care, man. All right. You too. Although he may not be the sports editor at the Daily Tar Heel anymore, Chapel Fowler still knows his Tar Heel football and is still a part of the Daily Tar Heel. Tuesday gave us a chance to sit down and chat with him about how he thinks the 2018 season will go for the Tar Heels. Chapel Fowler of of uh, the uh, Daily Tar Heel checking in with us guys for the uh, season preview. Yeah, I'm doing well, man. Uh, how about you, man? Doing well. Um, been to
3: a few practices recently. Uh, excited for the season to start. Like I said, there's a ton of interesting stuff to follow. So.
1: Oh yeah, for it. sure. Yeah, uh-huh. big, big season of storylines. Um, I know. Uh, were you at the uh, the press conference yesterday uh, that Coach Fedora held?
3: Uh, I was not, but I did keep up with it. I had class, but I saw basically everything that happened there.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think to this point. What seems to be the most interesting thing that's, I guess, come out of that? Maybe not, not necessarily directly come out of it is that we still don't have a depth chart at the moment. You know, do you do you think there's a specific reason why maybe we don't have one released at this point? Yeah. Um. So I, I noticed that. I saw some tweets about that. Um. So I remember last year at the start of the year there was a
3: press, There was a depth chart. Sorry, but um it really did not update over the first, like, three weeks or so. Like, I think the beginning depth chart last year had, like, Chaz and Nathan and Brandon Harris all listed as starting quarterback, like you said, Chaz Surratt or Nathan Elliott or Brandon Harris. So it was a depth chart, but a lot of those spots had that or, and I noticed that it wasn't really being updated, like, week by week. Um, So I just – I don't really think much of that, that it wasn't available in week one. Um, It just, like, doesn't seem like it's something that they really – Keep up with too much in terms of like updating it week by week, so I don't think that's like a big
1: like secrecy thing or anything. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I guess maybe with the suspensions, Uh what what uh, I know, I had uh, Sam Doughton on from uh, from Argyle Report yesterday, uh, and he told me he thinks that that's probably. Uh, you know, there's still some battles. They're kind of working out there. So yeah, maybe no, that's where, no, where no, they're no. trying to go. So um, but yeah, I just found it kind of interesting. So, yeah, let's uh, uh-huh. let's jump into the five questions that uh, I've been asking you guys, um, all, all the different journalists to to give me their opinions on. And it uh-huh. starts with the offensive side of the ball. Last year, this offense was nowhere near the offenses that we've seen under Larry Fedora. Um, I th- I still think the talent is there. I-, I really don't think that was the issue. I just think injuries that just kept adding up as time went by, that- that's kind of what took the life out of this offense. And I also think that Brandon Harris was part of what took the life out of this offense. He's gone. Hopefully the injuries are gone. How do you think this unit returns to that elite unit? Maybe not even up to that standard, but how do you think they at least return to a unit that the team can rely on to help them win games like the previous two seasons before last year?
3: Well, I think um, quarterback consistency, or just the consistency of knowing who you're starting is going to be is huge, um, regardless of who you as a fan or a media member think is the better, the two between Surratt and Elliott. Um, just the consistency of having one guy at that position is going to be huge, I think, at least for the first four games. Um, probably in simplest terms, it's just to get the balls – into the hands of their playmakers, like, as much as
0: possible. And that is cliche, but it's really what worked last year. Um, you saw Michael Carter had a few huge games whenever he got the touches. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony the williams obviously had some huge games when
3: he got the touches. Um, they started to get him the ball and really in really inventive of ways late in the season without being too, like, extra gadgety. Because sometimes, you know, the phrase, like, you're, like you'll like you get too cute. Like, a team will try to run some wide receiver pass when they don't need to. Um, I thought they did a really good job late in the season of getting him the ball in those situations. Um, so really, I think as long as Brad Williams and the running back trio, or maybe even a foursome, because we're hearing so much about Javante Williams now, um, as much as those four guys, five guys are get in the ball, um, that's going to be super helpful. And that's going to take, obviously, the pressure off these younger guys that we're hearing a lot about. Um, do some, even like Carl Tucker tied in, not a young guy,
0: but another guy who might break out. Uh, right. Just get those primary playmakers, the touches, and that opens up a lot of
3: other opportunities, open space, less pressure for some of these guys that they want to break out to have that
1: chance. Yeah, you mentioned two guys right there that I, I really think could have breakout years. You know, Dad's Newsom, we saw him in the game against Louisville yeah. last year, and then he kind of just never really reappeared on that same type of stage. And then Carl Tucker, man, he's just had, he's had so many bad breaks with injuries. I mean, he's shown yeah. that he can do – what is necessary and I think he's probably the, best, the the most consistent threat receiving wise. I think Fritz is really more uh-huh. that red zone guy where Tucker can kind of do everything all over the field. But yeah, um that that is interesting for sure. Now looking at the defensive side of the ball, you know, last year they seemed to take a good step in the right direction. I I, I don't know how much of a step that really was, but to me th- there was it was improved from what we have seen. This year, we return a lot of that talent. There were some injuries there that got some guys some experience, and they are really, really excited about the guys that they brought in as freshmen. So, you know, as of right now, what do you think this defense has to do to take that next step and potentially be that group that can win this team some games in crucial moments? Uh, Yes, I'm
3: actually doing like a – Preview on the secondary for like our football preview. And
0: mm-hmm. so I'm looking at the stats from like the last three years, let's say, of their past season And
3: I think it's pretty easy to forget, but in that eight and five season, they were, I think, first in the nation in touchdowns allowed per game. Passing, I they not know, allowed like 0.8. Uh, their passing yardage was 8th or something like that. And then the year before that, the ACC Championship appearance here, it was somewhere in like the 12th for pass defense. Just past year, that kind of took a step back. I think they were in like the 60s, but that's
0: still somewhat comfortably like your upper half of right. uh, the FBS spectrum.
3: So last year was the run defense that really um, – that was where the yardage was given up. Their averages were in the hundreds for that, like is where they ranked. Um, so, yeah, run defense of the two, I guess that's the more pressing issue. And to make that happen, uh, there's a defensive line that's obviously mm-hmm. was deep, but now is – less deep with suspensions, injury to Crawford and everything. Um, so the onus really falls on the replacements in that group and maybe more consistency in the linebacking position. Uh, obviously Holcomb has a lot of experience there, but maybe this is a year where John Smith, in like a full-on starting position, unlike last year, mm-hmm. has a chance to solidify himself. And Fedora um, right. mentioned a few young guys, I think like Gimmel and Flint that could make uh, contributions there too. So I think really just uh, team effort by the Linebackers in the defensive line, to yeah, try to shore up that run defense, and that obviously helps pass defense and vice
1: versa. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think yeah, you you are definitely right about that, and I think that is something that people do need to realize. While while I think the overall defense was a little bit better last year, the passing defense yeah. did have their struggles, especially early in the season. And yeah, yeah I think I, I think you're right though, and I I really likes a lot of these. Uh, to me, the true freshmen that they bring in in that group. From what I'm hearing, they're going to have a massive impact. Like they're saying right now, Trey Morrison could potentially start at the nickel corner, which means he would beat out a guy that started there last year in Miles Woolfolk. That that that's yeah. really good. People need to understand that. And then uh, Bryson Richardson was was getting raved about for a, a while. Um, I, you know, you look at some other guys that are probably going to have some impacts like C.J. Cotman, who is battling Patrice Renee. So I, I'm, I'm encouraged by that secondary. And then, yeah, on the defensive line, there will be some guys out. But with the staggered suspensions, I, I think they I think they might be OK. The biggest person that returns maybe on the entire team now that people have to realize, you know, going in, this is important that we bring him back is Tyler Powell because he can play both D end and D tackle. He you know, he's done both and for now they're probably gonna have to move him back inside to D tackle with the injury to Crawford. So um but yeah, no, I think you're right. This this defense just you know, it, it starts up front, and, and that's going to be the key. Getting pressure on the quarterback and, and being able to be in the backfield on running downs is going to be important. So, you know, every year there's these breakout guys that everybody wants to talk about. There's, uh, I mean, this year, some of the names that, that have come to mind are, you know, of course, Nathan Elliott with how he's performed in practice, um, as well as Antonio Williams. Who, are, who? Who's the guy right now that you don't think anyone's really talking about, but that he could really sneak up on people and have a really good season and become that, that name that everybody knows by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so some of the things that we've started to do in practice, just like obviously because we can't do just we just take the time to ask whoever we
5: talk to, like who stood up to you and get their point of view. Um, mm-hmm. So as I'm talking to everybody for this secondary story, um, both Miles Dorn and KJ Sales are mentioning TJ um, Okay, And he is in competition
3: for the two-spot with Patrice Rene. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like Patrice has the upper hand in that battle, but um, they're both saying great things about him. And, you know, of course, quarterbacks are always rotating. Um, I'm not sure if he can play nickel or not, but uh, I just never heard his name come up before. And the fact that those two, like, important good starters were mentioning his name along with Patrice Rene at competition, the two-spot, and saying that really any of those guys could step in and play for them. Um, That was just a name that stood out to me because I haven't thought of it, but they obviously
1: think really highly of them. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's definitely good to hear. And, uh, yeah, I thought last year, you know, he, he was a little bit of a special teams contributor but not massive. So I, I think, yeah, there's a real chance he could take a step forward. So if you look right now, heading into the season, you know, I don't know if you're that type of guy that likes to do the, you know, predictions, the record predictions, but if you had to guess, what would be that, that win total that you think this team is is going to be at it, when the season comes to an end? Well, I'll start off by saying my record predictions are always horrible. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've just taking a look at the schedule, there are some winnable games, there's some hard games, there's definitely some trap games. Um,
3: I mean, I think after a three and nine year, uh, expectations aren't low, but there are kind of lessened because mm-hmm. you know it's in college football. There's ebb and flow. Like, you're going to have good years and bad years. I mean, there's the attrition of players and coaching staff. Like it's just it's hard to maintain that just program year after year, and that's obviously why the coaches that do that get paid the big money. Um, so I mean, looking, I took a look at the schedule before the call, um, mm-hmm. and I think. Uh, a five and
0: seven or a six and six sounds really realistic to me. Uh, okay. But I think within both of
3: those records, there's going to be one or two games where uh, they're right there and aren't able to. I know we saw that a lot last year. It's something that they talked about a lot at ACC kickoff and through the camp, finishing those games. And I think that's something that might take another year of ironing out. But uh, that five and seven or six and six could easily become a seven and five uh, if they're able to pull out a few of those.
1: All right, so 5-7 and seven or 6-6. Six and six. The question then becomes, at the start of the 2019 season, right now as you sit here with the prediction that you have in hand, do you think that Larry Fedora is the head coach of the Tar Heels at the start of the 2019 season?
3: I would say uh, yes, okay. pretty confidently, uh, personally. Um, I just – I've never heard a player say a Bad thing or much frustration, um, and obviously has that contract through I think 2020. Uh, and I just I've heard nothing that would make you feel like they're losing confidence in him. I mean, he's obviously set a lot of program records, uh, like wins and back-to-back seasons, and all those offensive records. Uh, and if you just look at UNC's sports overall, uh, they have a pretty good track record with keeping around their coaches. Like. I mean, their fencing coach, 51 years. Uh, Anthony Dorrance, of course, think he's been year 40. Hatchell's in her year, 30s, Uh Coach Williams has obviously been around for a long time. Uh, I mean, any coach, really. I think they have like one or two new coaches in the past two years. Uh, and it just seems like that's something that the athletic department, both Cunningham especially, uh, emphasizes, like just putting that trust in and having some patience as well.
1: All right, man. Hey, we'll, uh, we'll let you get back to your homework, of course, because we know you are a student, (laughs) so got to multitask. But hey, man, I, uh, I really appreciate you carving out some time for us to come on here and, just you know, give us some of this information for the season. I I know we're all excited. We're ready to go. So, uh, I'm glad you could be a part of the preview podcast, man. Yeah, man. I I appreciate
3: you reaching out about it. I'm always happy to talk, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the mashup of everybody else's opinions, too. should be a fun
1: one. <laughs> all right, man. Yeah, for sure. So uh, you take care, and uh, we'll definitely have to talk to you down the line. All right, man? You got it, man. Have a good night. All right. You too. bye Rookie status might be a bit offensive to Sam Downton of the Argyle Report. Although he may be new to the Tar Heel football beat, Sam has jumped right in and quickly become one of the top follows when it comes to Tar Heel football. We sat down with him on Monday to get his take on the Heels' upcoming season. Uh, yeah, so I thought, you know, definitely, you know, g- great to have you back on, man. You do such a, such Pleasure. a great job. Yeah, over at the, uh, uh, you know, over at uh, Argyle Report. So, I mean, yeah, dude, uh, had to get you back on and, you know, you, you went out there, you Today was the first press conference from Larry. You know, just starting out, a um, little off script. You know, what what was the biggest thing that you kind of took away from today's press conference, if if anything?
4: Well, yeah, it was an interesting presser because normally when we go in, there's like the you know stack of game that we picked up, and today everyone picked it up and immediately flipped to try to find you know the two d and the two d was not in the list yet, and you know good. Larry, Larry on the podium today said that you know not quite, he's not quite done with it yet. Basically, He's still got to decide a couple, a couple battles. I think that right guard battle, Billy Ross and William Barnes is one of them, and you know a couple of the, the backup battles as well. You get know, that captain two two deep spy, You know, particularly backup quarterbacks, one a lot of people, have a lot of questions on. He just had, you know, he's got to spend the last couple of days of practice to figure that out before they head out west. Um, but you know, the, it's it's an interesting position he's in because of all the you know, suspensions and other things, and players are get hurt right now early on in the season. Apparently we got a chance to see a lot of freshmen play, and so I think that's you know exciting on one end, maybe a little bit of concern on the other. Um, but you know they're they're in a good they're in a good spot mentally right now. And It was sort of just you know the coaches are feeling things out, and the, the media is feeling things out right now, and sort of nobody really entirely knows what to expect for the team. And I think that's going to be something that's going to be a constant theme going on. So there's there's so many variables of this for this season could be really good or it could be really bad again. We don't really know how it's going to go until they play on the field.
1: Well, yeah, let's find out what you think about this team. So it I, it starts with the offense. Last year, the worst offense that they've had under Larry Fedora by a large margin. And now this year, you know, some of the same pieces, but there are also some new guys that have really stepped up so far in spring and fall camp. You know, what does this team have to do to get back to that dynamic type of offense that they had the two, two seasons prior to last year?
4: Well, for me, I think it's all about consistency. I think the main reason the offense struggled to click a lot last year is there were just so many parts moving in and out due to all the injuries. Injuries on the offensive line, injuries out wide at wide receiver. You know, and you know, running back was pretty stable, I guess, but quarterback was constantly switching in and out. Mm-hmm. And so nobody had any time to really find rhythm as a unit, which is such a big deal in the type of offense. You know, Coach Fedora runs but no huddle spread. Um, you know, they do a lot of quick-fire plays, a lot of, you know, quick reads and go and everything else. And so, you know, just getting that consistency, getting a set of 11, 12, 13 guys you're going to have in there almost every single play and, you know, being able to go as quick as you possibly can, that's going to be a big deal. And, I, you know, I think assuming, you know, people can stay healthy, you know, you're going to see that, see them getting back to it. And, I, you know, I, I'm pretty optimistic. I think Nathan Elliott showed a lot of promise towards the end of the season last year. is only going to get better now that he has a more consistent group on the side. they got tons of talent out on, out on the wings with the wide receiver spots, and they've got, you know, two great options with Brandon Fritz and Carl Tucker at tight end. Mm-hmm. they got, you know, three or four great running back options. So, I mean, they've got, they got enough talent to execute everywhere. It's just a matter of, you know, there being enough reps with everyone around for them to, you know, feel comfortable with one another
1: it may also help that the defense is in a pretty good spot. You know, they took a step last year. What do they have to do to take that next step this year?
4: Well, for, for me, it's all about, you know, the defensive line being more consistent. I think a lot of the problems that this defense historically has had, not stopping the run and also giving up big pass plays, is in large part because the, the defensive line does not get enough push necessarily on the line. And, you know, this is a unit, even with, you know, the suspensions and, you know, the injury to Aaron Crawford, still has a ton of experience and is very upperclassman heavy. And this is the year that they really need to step up and sort of take ownership of, like, we're going to be a good defensive team this year because we're going to just beat you off the ball and, you know, make teams uncomfortable, make them not be able to run up the middle, make them not be able to, you know, get deep into their pass routes and be able to bust open those big plays. Because, you know, I I mean, the the secondary is boomer-bust and the linebackers are young, and so the defensive line has really got to step up to make this defense, you know, capable for this team and really make a difference.
1: Yeah, you know, I I think coming into the season, everybody's talking about guys like Anthony Ratliff-Williams, Nathan Elliott, Aaron Crawford, but there's some of these guys that are breaking out. Who is that guy right now that really no one is talking about but you feel might have a big impact for the team this season?
4: You know, a couple things. on well, sort of an off-the-beaten-trail path, I think William Sweet, the offensive tackle, really has a chance to do something special. And he's Richard junior mm-hmm. He's been biding his time in the program for quite some time, but you know, he's got that size to be, you know, the elite player, the elite tackle that this offense needs, and I think he's going to finally have the chance to show what he can do completely healed back from the injury last year and really get a chance to shine on the offensive line. I think people are going to be very impressed with him overall. And sort of a more skill position thing, something that most people have been. I think everyone needs to keep an eye on Javante Williams. Um, he's mm-hmm. been getting a lot of praise from the coaching staff and other players about what he's doing as a true freshman. And with Michael Carter out early on this season, you're, you're going to get a chance to see him play with Antonio and Jordan Brown. And I, I suspect that he will get a chance to really show what he can do.
1: I've been really encouraged by what I've heard about him. And, you know, I saw his tape coming out of one of the smaller schools that, you know, we, you, you can recruit from in Wallace Rose Hill, uh, which was a 1A school that kind of moved up to a 2A, I think, two years ago. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's right. impressive that he's come in and, and made such a great impact early on. That's great to mm-hmm. hear. So, what do you think right now, if you had to make a prediction, what would be your official record prediction for this year's team?
4: to break out the, the schedule itself make sure I didn't second guess myself. So I'll just go through game by game. Okay. Um, I think uh, I think the originally at Cal was a toss up with the suspensions. I, yeah. I think it's probably a loss. Okay. Um, at ECU I think it's probably a win even with the suspensions because I think ECU is just terrible and Scotty Montgomery will be out before like the sixth game this season. You can record that down. Um, defending National Champs UCF I think was probably a toss up with suspensions. I think it was also probably a loss Okay. And I think we probably beat Pitt at home because we'll have, mm-hmm. you know, enough people back by that point. Um, at Miami, probably a loss. At Virginia Tech, probably Oh, excuse me, Virginia Tech at home, probably a loss. Um, having beaten Syracuse on the road, beating Georgia Tech at home. Uh, losing to Duke on the road, beating Western, and then losing to the State. So it goes out to 5-7, and seven, which seems low, but I think if, you know, if they, if they didn't have – Multiple players suspended early on it could easily be seven and five, and even in those games, I think a lot of the games that they, I think they might lose, are toss-ups. Like, I think Duke on the road is probably a toss-up. Mm-hmm. I think you know Virginia Tech at home, you know, is going to be a close one. Cal is going to be a close one. UCF at home is going to be a close one. So there's there's a path to nine and three in a really solid bounce-back season, but there's also a path to you know three and nine or four and eight or something you know not good at all. And it's really just going to come down to execution and also you know how the other teams in the conference are doing. Because it's just a really jumbled coastal behind
1: my head right now. Yeah, I, I I think you know, you're you're one hundred percent right, and you're kinda along those same lines as everybody else. That opening to the season is extremely important. And right now, I think in order to make a bowl game, three and one is kind of where you wanna be. You can be two and two, but then you're gonna put a little bit of pressure on you. So yeah, I kind of agree. Now here's yep. the big question. You said they're five and seven. Do you think that Larry Fedora then is the head coach of the team in 2019?
4: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, I was I was chatting with uh, Patrick James with Go Heels for the presser today, mm-hmm. and, he, and I pointed out, you know, Fedora is entering year seven, and there's only been three Tar Heel coaches to ever make it ten years. I'm going to Wikipedia that real quick, right? Um, to double check on that,
1: but you know, just sort of talk, while I'm looking that up, talking through that, like it's. You know, you know, people don't stick around here for a long time for whatever reason. Right. Um, and, you know, so, some of it's, you know, people move on to quote unquote bigger jobs like Mac Brown. Yeah, of uh, course. And mm-hmm.
4: yeah, but but also, you know, historically success has never been long lived here, which I think is unfortunate. Um, yeah, let's see, looking at this. Um, uh, Bill Dooley made it 10 years, 67 to 77. Mm-hmm. Um, Mac Brown made it nine. Uh, Dick Crumb made it nine. So, yeah, I mean, Fedora's so getting close to that number but I think if he goes five and seven this year I don't think he'll be around next year and I'll tell you that right now I think he very easily could be here next year if he you know goes seven and six counting that wing or whatever and you know people are gonna be like oh we well, had the injuries and you know, this year you know, he' getting back to it and have those suspensions to deal with right but it's, it's gonna be tough for him and he's gonna have to win a lot of those toss-up games which you know may or may not come down to coaching and, you know, he was talking today, you know, one of the, one of his last question the press conference today was, is he preparing for the season any different now after going three and nine? And his answer was, he pretty much wasn't. He's always the same nervous wreck he had before every season. Um, but, you know, he's got to win these toss-up games to get in there. And I think based on my, you know, very still, – it still feels too early prediction for the season. Um, I think he probably won't be here. Um, which is, you know puts puts the program in an interesting spot, given that you know some, there's been so much turnover in coaching. There's only three coaches in the ACC that have been at their schools longer than Larry Fedora. I think it's right. Dabo Sweeney, um, David Cutcliffe, and God, who's the third one? Uh, oh, Paul Johnson over at Georgia Tech. Oh, that's, that's a, right. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the only three coaches in the ACC that have been at their schools longer than Larry Fedora has, which is kind of remarkable to think about, because at least for me. It feels like Oshadora
1: just got here, right? Um,
4: in some ways, I, I <laughs>
1: but, would, you know. I I feel like Steve Adazio has been at Boston College for a little while too, though. Yeah, no, Adazio I think even with them. I think they there got you them. go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Maybe that's what it's. But yeah, you're you're yeah. right, and I you know I agree 100. percent I think uh, really what what last year did that kind of balanced out that 11 and three year. But you look at it, and right now it's, I mean, he's like a seven and six, six and seven type coach. You know, makes a bowl game, and then it's kind of a swing back and forth there. So yeah, I totally agree. Crucial season for him. And yeah, if he goes five and seven, I think that's that number. You, if you are six and six and in a bowl game, you're probably safe. If you're five and seven, it's probably an entirely different story. Um,
4: and it's crazy how things can swing like that
1: because right. uh, I think you,
4: you know there's been this talk all the time about UNC being sort of a sleeping giant football wise, and what should you know Tar Heel fans' expectations be for the program? And I think if you talk to most people, they're going to be like, if we're you know making a bowl every year and then every once in a while we have you know a 10 win season, I think most people are going to be happy with it. Mm-hmm. And I think Coach Fedora can coach here a really long time if that's you know the standard that he sets for himself. But you know th- this is really a make or break year to get back into that rhythm necessarily. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of factors that go into that, (laughs) but, you know, you know, he hasn't done himself some of the favors in the
1: off season, just various, you know, different things from the CTE stuff to, um,
4: other things there, but I don't know. He seemed comfortable. He didn't seem any different in the past right now. And, you know, he's got a good chance to make a good statement, you know, on the road to Berkeley this week. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how the team turns out.
1: Yeah, you're right. I I think, you know, I, Probably coming off of last year in the immediate aftermath when the season was over, I would have probably said back in December, he could. yeah, I think he could probably survive another five and seven, maybe even four and eight. It would have been close. But with the struggles on the recruiting trail, I mean, right now you look at the class, it's ranked 64th in the entire country, 13th in the ACC, and you've only got 11 commits in the entire class. You're getting beat in your home state, not only by NC State and Duke. You're getting beat by Wake Forest and ECU, and then yeah, you mentioned you know the the comments that he made. I think that really just that made his margin for error pretty much zero. So yeah. it, it's put him in a tough spot. But yeah, I agree. I mean, I, you know, it, it's amazing to think that really. I mean, you go back and I would say probably the the Virginia Tech game when we played them during the hurricane that rolled in. <laughs> Before that, I, I mean, you think about where his job security was. He was probably one of the safest coaches in the entire country. Uh-huh. And, and now, you know, we're, we're a bad year away from having a new coach. So it's amazing. Um, you, yeah, so do, do you mind really quick, I, uh, if he does end up getting fired, who are some of those names that you would immediately kind of throw out there on the table um, to try to go after
4: I mean, I don't know. That's I think Scott Satterfield at App State is an interesting okay. type of
1: figure, mm-hmm.
4: um, and you know he's been extremely consistent at App, winning oh, yeah. know, 10 games every year, pretty much. And I mean, obviously it's in the Sun Belt, but you know you're, he made the bump up from FCS to FBS with them, and they've been as successful as any you know Group of Five program in the country in that time. You know, maybe not necessarily that you know big time experience you might be looking for for UNC, but he does recruit the state well. He knows all the you know, North Carolina connections and, and you know, slip over to that Tennessee side a little bit. So I, I think he'd be an interesting figure to look at. I'm not, I don't necessarily think they would look that way. I don't think that's necessarily the way Bubba Cunningham would operate the coaching search process. But, you know, I think if I were running it, it'd be my first pick. Right. And, then, you know, beyond, and beyond that, you know, I, I kind of like to see, you know, somebody
5: like Elaine Kiffin or something like that, assuming Florida Atlantic does well again this year. Right. You know, we're, we're, <laughs> there's
4: nothing that says we, you know, UNC football maybe to make that jump into being, you know, one of the best programs in the country that people think it has the potential to be, um, might need to go outside the box a little bit and do something a little less conventional. But you know, I think perhaps maybe a defensive mining coach wouldn't be bad either. After you know, defensive struggles for you know all but one year basically in the Fedora era, and even that year wasn't that great. Right. So um, yeah, no, it's really, really strange. Um, in a lot of ways, and I so those are just a couple of names. I haven't thought too so much about it because obviously there's still a lot to look at. Yeah, now right. again, And I'm looking back at that 2016 season. And I'd say that turning point was probably the loss on the road to Duke. Um, because we used to be blown out against Virginia Tech, but you sort of chalk that to the hurricane. Then they beat Miami on the road, beat Virginia, beat Georgia Tech. You know, pretty pretty handling in those last two games. And you go and lay an egg on the road to your biggest rival on a Friday night. Yep. And then come back and lose the state at home and then lose in the Sun Bowl by two points. And you know, a season that could have very easily ended with you in the top ten, you end up unranked. Um, you know, that, that's a tough draw. You go from I mean, that season could very easily have been, you know, ten and three or eleven and two or something. And you, know, you imagine fighting for the coastal division championship again. And then all of a sudden you're eight and five and you lose Mr. Bisky, and then the next season everyone gets hurt and you get three and nine and your seat's feeling pretty hot right now. But the good news for him is that he's got a bunch of winnable games on his schedule. So if he wins those games, he's in good shape. Right. So I mean, it's not like he's got an impossible task ahead of him. It's very achievable for him. So that's you know that's that's for Tarheel fans, for you know Fedora fans, if you like him a lot, that's a good thing to see.
1: Oh yeah, for sure, man. And uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, that Duke game was one of those ones that, you know, we just, we we felt like we should have won. That's pretty much been what the losses have been against them really in the Larry Fedora era. So, um, and yeah, now, uh, now you look at it just uh, about a year and a half later and we're just left scratching our heads. So. Um, yeah. yeah, man. Hey, yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks for stepping on, man. This was uh, fantastic. You know, I always love to have you on the podcast. One, one of my favorites for sure, man. You, you just love to come on here and and talk to Ario football, and you're so knowledgeable, man. It's awesome. Awesome. I appreciate
4: it. I really enjoy having you on. Um, if anyone else would like to follow me as the season gets underway, uh, my Twitter is at s j d o u g h t o n. And you can follow Argyle Report. We'll have a couple other writers subbing in and out along with me on the football beat. And Argyle Report is at Argyle Report. If you want to read our stuff, you can go to argylereport.com. We have a couple women's soccer stories up, a couple of volleyball stories up, for those of you that like. Olympic sports as well. We do we do coverage of that stuff as well. But thanks for having me on, Anthony. I appreciate this. And I can't wait to hear the season preview with everyone else when it comes out.
1: Yeah, man. Hey, uh, thank you. Yeah. And thanks for stepping on with us. And uh, we'll definitely have to have you on throughout the season to come on and talk about what's going on with the Tar Heels as well, man. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Have a good one. All right. You too, man. Jake Lawrence might not be as well-known as some of the other names that have stopped by to chat with us, but the Tar Heel blog contributor knows the ins and outs of this Tar Heel team as well as anyone. Last Thursday, he jumped on to tell us what he thinks of this 2018 Tar Heel squad. How's it going today, Jake? Hey, man. What's up? Hey, so, uh, yeah, um, you know, first I want to start by saying, hey, man, uh, you, I, I love the stuff you do, uh, the blog is fantastic, it's a great read, and I think, uh, any, anybody that's a Tar Heel fan definitely, you know, needs to invest a little bit of time and read some of this stuff that you guys are putting out over there, because it's, uh, it's fantastic stuff, man.
7: Hey, man, I appreciate it. it, uh, I guess I've been doing it now for just over, I think over two years now, uh. I think I've lost track, but yeah, I mean, we, we, we found our footing, um, views have been up, people are starting to read and, and uh, I gotta say, I, it, it's a fun deal. We are putting out some really good things. and I appreciate, appreciate the kind of words.
1: Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I thought, uh, th- you know, w- I, I have a lot of journalists on here, but I think this is going to be one of those. Those ones that I think a lot of people really need to take notice of because, you know, this is a little bit different. This is somebody with a, a, a sort of fan type blog. But at the same time, I feel like you're, you're going to bring a realistic perspective. I think when people hear fan blog, they expect that, you know... The, that that we're going to come out with these opinions that this team's going to win 9 games, that this team's going to win, you know, the ACC Coastal, you know that that we can't we, we won't say anything bad about these guys. Um but I mean we I think we can both admit there are some flaws with this team.
7: Oh, 100%. Um and, and we we really try to bring a, a more honest assessment. You know, we we have our optimistic views at times, mm-hmm. uh, but we have also put out some things that have not been the kindest to to various teams or or people um, you know I think with some of Fedora's comments earlier this year we we, we hammer those pretty hard if people you know really want to kind of see where, where we're coming from from a, from a fan perspective uh, we don't really pull any punches so uh, I, I, and that, that goes into and goes into this year as well this uh, this year's team does have some flaws I think there's a lot of reason for hope and optimism uh, but there's absolutely plenty of reason for concern Um, going into 2018.
1: So, let's start by talking about the offense. You know, I'm going to ask you uh, five questions. These are the five questions that I've been asking anybody that's done this. And, you know, uh, I I just give your honest answers on this. So, let's start, you know, with the offense. Last year, the worst statistical year, at least scoring-wise, under Larry Fedora. Um, You know, at this point, you know, this offense, I I think, is still – trying to find its footing. I feel like this offense is going to be better than it was a year ago. But the thing that, you know, you kind of have to wonder is what has to happen for this offense to get back to that level that they were at two years ago, or especially I think what people really want is where they were at back in 2015. Yeah, I think I think the first two things that come to mind is
7: they cannot turn the ball over and they have to extend their drives. Mm-hmm. Um, last year's, especially on third down, last year's conversion rate was abysmal, um, especially compared to kind of what it has been in years past. Uh, they have got to find a way to stay on the field uh, and put themselves in position to score. Even if it's just a couple field goals, there were some empty possessions last year that, that would have made a difference in some close games um, or closer games when people may mm-hmm. may may remember. Uh, but uh, it's been the, the quarterback position. Nathan Ellie can come in and just hold on to the football, make the right decisions. Uh, you don't need to be explosive plays every time down the field, but you got to be able to, to to eat a little bit of clock and at least at least keep the ball moving to get some momentum going uh, to kind of keep everyone invested.
1: I like what you said about third down. I mean, last year, I remember seeing the stat after the season was over that our average third down was third and seven. that, that just can't happen again. I mean, that's not gonna set you up for success, and that's gonna force a bat, you know, a quarterback position that last year, was struggling to, to throw the ball more. That's kind of where we saw our struggles, especially in games like Notre Dame and Georgia Tech, where we didn't end up scoring uh, as much as we would have liked to. This year, yeah, I kind of agree with you. And I hope that the running game is going to be up to par to be able to keep us there. That offensive line is going to be a little more disciplined to avoid penalties that will set us back. So um, I totally agree. Now looking at the defense, you know, they took a step forward last year. I think there's a little bit of optimism to be had with this defense. The thing is, what do they have to do to take that next step this season?
7: They have got to get into the into the backfield. They've got to get that mm-hmm. defensive line and and, and and push the offensive line back and win those battles. You know, I hate to be cliche, but they have to win the battles in the trenches. Um, the reason they have struggled against the run. And the reason they have struggled against those, you know, the drag routes across the middle and, mm-hmm. and the wheel routes, they're they're not getting the pressure of them to force the quarterback into a bad into a bad uh, decision or, or disrupt timing uh, and make them uncomfortable. Um, and I think that's where it starts. You know, they've, they've had they've had decent uh, secondary performances the past few years. Uh, they've had some good talent back there. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, you know, M J Stewart uh, is the one. Remember, second round draft pick uh, last year, uh, right. but they have got to finally have that defensive line actually cause and disrupt uh, the timing at the line and force those offenses, those opposing offenses, into where we. So what you just mentioned last
1: week, we struggled with third and sevens and whatnot. Right, We've got them in the long
7: position or long uh, passing downs uh, on the later downs of their drives.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think that's the one area that we. On paper, it probably looked like these guys really took a step forward getting pressure on the quarterback. But, I mean, when you look at guys like Timon Fox, three of his four sacks came in one game. So, you know, you got to kind of look game to game and see just how much they were able to get pressure. And I think we're going to find that out right away against Cal. That's going to be something we have to do against the Bears or else we could be in a little bit of trouble. We know they're going to stand back there and they like to throw the football. So that's that's crucial out of the gate. My, we all know that there are these breakout players every single year. This year coming in, there's a couple of guys that are being talked about, you know, guys like Carl Tucker, guys like even CJ Cotman, who could start outside at the, one of the corner positions. Who's the guy that right now nobody's really talking about that you think could be a breakout candidate on this team? That's really good because it feels like everyone's
7: talked about at some point or another. Um I'm gonna go with Thomas Jackson though, and I don't know if breakout is the right word,
0: mm-hmm. but
7: as a fifth-year senior, last year he was supposed to kind of be that safety blanket with Austin Prohl um, mm-hmm. in the uh, on the, in the slot. I think you bring someone with his experience back and his ability to to run routes and kind of. You valve across the middle or kind of on a quick out, that opens up the field for everybody else. So I don't know if he's necessarily going to put up the stats per se, but he definitely has the experience within that within that system. And when you're looking at all of the weapons that come back, and yeah, everyone got experience last year, Nathan Elliott's going to have to have someone he can rely on. He's going to have someone who knows that offense, cold. And I think Thomas Jackson is the guy that you can look at being solid week in and week out. And is it going to be a safety blanket as the year goes on?
1: Yeah, I, I really like Thomas Jackson. I thought he had a good start to last year. Uh, you know, seven he had seven receptions, but two of them were for touchdowns last year. So he did get off to a good start before he got hurt against Old Dominion. So, yeah, that's a good one. That's one that no one's really talking about. Everybody's kind of sticking really on the defensive side of the ball. So that's, that's definitely an interesting one. I really like that. Um, so right now. Sitting here today, what is your official record prediction for this team? If you had to look at that schedule and kind of narrow it down, what what do you have us at right now? I, honest to goodness,
7: have them at eight and four for a, for for multiple reasons. And so, okay. Uh, you know, we we talked about not being your typical fan blog and all that, but looking at it, um, I really think eight and four. Is something that is attainable and should be expected this year. Uh, okay. I won't be disappointed with the seven and five, uh, but I think eight and four is, is is what we need to be looking at. Um, and and I think the schedule kind of lends itself to to having that kind of optimism.
1: If you don't mind me asking, what do you have us starting in the first four games where we're going to be without the eleven players?
7: I think we end up three and one there. I, I, okay. I really, I, I honestly, goodness, think that we end up beating Cal.
1: Okay. Um, okay. And then,
7: and then you have, and then you come back across the country. You have ECU, and what? Look, if, if they lose at ECU, then there are some serious concerns that we need to have when we start need to start having some serious discussions. Totally
1: agree. Um, yep.
7: I, I think UCF is a toss up, and I, I can see us losing that game just because, mm-hmm. yeah, they lost their coach and they lost some defensive talent, but they still have a really good quarterback, uh, and I think that's where you might start seeing some of the depth issues uh, from from the suspensions. When we come back for UCF,
1: but then I, then I feel good against Pitt. Fedora's never lost against Pitt, right? And
7: uh, you know, and, and I feel good about them coming down. Uh, you know, Pitt is what they are and their style of play. I don't think it's going to be a you know a barn burner, but I think it's a game that to open up the ACC season. Uh, I, I think that's a game that they end up they end up stealing. And the reason I'm so high on, on the Cal game is that you know when you look at suspensions it's clear that the coaching staff used that as a big deal because they staggered it to have Fox and Carney both available for that game. So that tells me that that coaching staff and the players are viewing that game as as close to a must-win as you could have early in the season. Um, and so I think that they're coming out to, to to really set the tone against the Bears.
1: Yeah. So pretty much, it, it, if you got them going eight and four, this question really, I think I know the answer. Do you think Larry Fedora is the head coach of this team when we start the season in 2019?
7: I think if he makes a bowl, he's the head coach going into 2019. All right. Uh,
1: yeah. And I can agree. And, and
7: the, the major reason there is that. Look, the 2019 recruiting class is not really going to be that great. We get it. They're going to make up some ground. That's fine. They are really laying the groundwork for 2020, and they're going to have enough talent that comes back to 2019 that they should realistically be challenging for 8 to 10 wins in 2019. And so I don't think you blow all that up for a bowl appearance. Um, Anything less than that, I think that's a real conversation to have.
1: All right. Yeah, I yeah, totally agree. I think that's kind of where we're at. And, and I agree. Get, getting to a bowl game, I think, would probably be what would keep him in Chapel Hill. The final journalist that we had stopped by actually jumped on with us this morning, but it was well worth the wait. Pat James of GoHeels.com has been writing about Tar Heel sports for a few years now, and his extensive knowledge of the team allowed us to get the answers to some key questions before this weekend's matchup with Cal. We welcome in Pat James from GoHeels.com. Hey, Pat, how's it going, man? Good, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, man. uh, First of all, I want to apologize for the last time. All the technical difficulties, uh, that was unbelievable, Um, but I, I, I... I think we have it solved so we should be good to go today Um, you know so uh, yeah but um, Pat's not gonna be able to give us a season prediction like some of the other guys have but maybe we can get him to answer our first couple of questions and we're also gonna ask him a couple of other things so first of all I got to start by asking we've reached this point now where it's Thursday before game day and we don't have a depth chart. At this point, I, I think it's pretty much inevitable that we are not going to have one. Um, the, the, the coaching staff is really just going to roll without one. Do you, do you know really a, a reason why they're going without one? And, you know, is are there still, you know, can, do we have enough information based on what we've seen in camp to kind of put together a roster, you know, as fans ourselves?
2: Yeah, I mean. From what Fedora said on Monday, and I mean, I feel like this is really the only reason, and I I think it makes sense. I mean, I guess in a sense that, you know, he just doesn't want to give, you know, his opponent, like he doesn't want him to know as much about the team as he does, which I mean, you've seen several other coaches, especially, and specifically in college football, like Jim Harbaugh kind of use that same reasoning in the past, and I think that's probably going to become something that's even more common throughout college football over the next two or three years, probably. Um, But in regards to your other question though, I think at this point, I I feel like those who've been following along and stuff, that the depth chart is going to be much different than what has been discussed uh, after recent practices and throughout camp. Um, I I feel like the only thing, the big question mark that is on everybody's mind is who's going to be starting their right guard. And uh, at this point, I would probably lean as of today, I would lean toward being Billy Ross. Uh, I don't know about that for sure, but that, that'd be my guess as of right now.
1: And with, with with that battle right there, is there a really good chance that we're probably going to see both of them getting rotated in and out?
2: I think there is probably a pretty good chance. Uh, Fedora, he said the other day, how I mean, he definitely expects uh, William Barnes to play at least some on Saturday in one way or another. Um, So yeah, I would expect to see both of them out there probably at some point on Saturday.
1: There was another battle that I was kind of focusing on coming into fall camp, and I'm wondering how you feel that it's turned out, and and, and that's that number two cornerback position. Patrice Renee and CJ Cotman seem to be the two guys battling back and forth there. Is there really any clearance at that position right now as we go into the season, or is that going to be similar to that right guard spot where both of them will probably play a significant amount of snaps?
2: Yeah, I'd probably lean that direction in terms of them both playing a significant number of snaps. Um, if I were to say who's starting, if there's only two of them are out there to start on the first uh, series or whatever, first play, my guess is that it would be uh, CJ Cotman. Um, that'd be my guess as of right now, but especially as of late. There's been a lot of talk about Patrice Rene, and I mean Miles Dorn was talking last week about how you know it just it kind of finally seems like he's learned how to use that size a little bit more to his advantage. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's, as we all know, like I mean because of that size, I mean he has the skills to where he could really be, you know, a really good quarterback. It's just kind of you know refining those skills and trying to find out how to use them. And uh, I mean, you know, and it's kind of tough because you know he comes in as a true freshman, and there's that game against Georgia. And I just feel like that's everyone's lasting. Of him. He's no opener, Right. And uh, hopefully he can shake that this year.
1: You know, I on the offensive side of the ball, the last time we talked, we talked about Diami Brown pretty, pretty much being a shoe in to start. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, we've got a guy that's pretty much a shoe in to start. Now, it is at the nickel cornerback position, but Trey Morrison seems to be that guy that's going to start there. Uh, I mean, how, do you think that at this point it's pretty much him and Bryson Richardson? And my question really is, where is Miles Wolfolk fitting into this? The guy that started at that nickel position last year.
2: Yeah, I think it definitely is at this point. Trey Morrison has the edge over all of them. I mean, he's been so impressive. I mean, the coaching staffs obviously talked about him a lot uh, just since camp began and everything, but he's also, I mean, when I've been out there, he's always making plays during practices and scrimmages. And the other day when, uh, I asked Fedora just kind of about like, you know, last year when he was talking about MJ Stewart, he always mentioned how, you know, MJ was always the top guy on the GPS chart every day. Like, you know, he was always the one who's going the hardest. Right. And he said there's not one specific guy holding that down, but he did mention Trey Morrison as one of the three or four guys who's always at the top every single day. So I mean to have that as a true freshman, I think that's big. I think he's a make a significant impact this year. And then uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Miles Wolf. I mean, that's an interesting one as well. I mean I when he's been out there doing practices, I mean, he has been out there making plays. I really don't know exactly how they're planning on using him this year. But, I mean, we saw last year some flashes from him, and I think that he could have a big role on this team.
1: Yeah, I mean, two, two interceptions last year uh, was tied for the lead on the team. So, yeah, they've, they've got – you you would think that a role is, is there for him. Um, You know, there are two significant injuries heading into this game. Michael Carter will not play, and neither will Aaron Crawford. When you look at both of those injuries, you know, wh- how do you think that the Heels are able to adjust at those positions?
2: You know, I mean, I'm sure this has been talked about enough, but, I mean, those two positions specifically, for to have the depth they have in those two spots is definitely, you know, a massive help. I mean, uh, those are probably the two deepest position groups on the team. Um I think at defensive tackle, I mean, you're probably looking at I mean, Jason Strowbridge who has been probably the most talked about, one of the most talked about players on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, he's going to be in the for a significant role. Him, probably uh, Jalen Dalton, if he's a full go on Saturday, which I'm not sure about at this point. Um, but you guys have some other depth there as well. And then running back, I mean, I would personally probably expect Antonio Williams uh, to be the first running back of the UNC uses And uh, as Fedora said on uh, Monday, it's probably going to be a three man rotation between him, and uh, Jordan Brown, and Javante Williams. And as everybody's been talking about, Javante Williams has been just incredible so far with the way he's acclimated to the college game. And I, I think that he's going to have a, 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 as much of a significant year as he can have as a true freshman,
1: a crowded running back group yeah uh pat he uh pat james goheels.com i got to give you credit uh you called it uh the last time you were on the show you thought cade fortin was going to be that guy that emerged at that backup position and you got that you got that right it's dead on yesterday they announced that he is going to be the backup quarterback i i I think what most people are kind of wondering is you know as you look kind of forward in these next four games how much of a role do you actually think that he's gonna play? like do you think he's gonna be able to get in against ECU or um, right now is he really just that guy that's kind of the insurance guy?
2: I would definitely lean towards the latter towards being the insurance guy. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that as long as Nathan Elliott is healthy and that he doesn't have to go out for you know any anything major like you know injury or you know Helmet pops off Or anything like that right. I think that's the only way That uh, Kate Ford Gets out there But I mean He's been highly impressive So far I mean you can definitely tell just being around him a little bit in the spring until now, like you can tell that he just seems a lot more comfortable out there. And so, I mean, I I think that was kind of evident to the coaching staff as well. And he's definitely progressed a lot. And I think he's definitely earned that backup role for these first couple games.
1: All right. So I'm going to ask you the first three questions. I'll stay away from the record (laughs) prediction and everything like that. But I'll start with the offense. You know, last year – was a struggle for sure on offense. I mean, just 26 points per game. Uh, the offense averaged under 370 yards of total offense. You know, my question is, how do they get back to being an offense that can win this team games or at least, you know, give this team a chance to win some of those close games?
2: I think it all starts with the running game. I mean, as good as it was at times last year, you just need that consistent production. To, you know, be able to keep the defense off its toes and everything. And I think you know they have the backs to do it. it. Will be obviously the most important is whether the offensive line can hold up. Uh, in terms of creating those lanes and everything. And as of right now, I would say I feel pretty confident they are, probably more so than I did last year at this point. Obviously, there were some returning pieces last year, more returning pieces than there are uh, on this year's offensive line. But uh, I've been pretty impressed with a lot of those guys up front. I mean, Charlie Heck specifically is a guy who has been drawing, like, rave reviews, especially over the past couple of days. I think it was J.K. Britt the other day. who said that he thinks that Charlie Hex is going to be a first-round draft pick at some point. So, I mean, I think that's where it starts with the running game. Another thing that I think you have this year, I mean, obviously, you had Ant last year, Anthony rattles Williams, you know, the way he was able to extend the field, you know, mm-hmm. with the deep ball. But also, also, now you have Diami on the other side their speed together, just the ability to stretch the field horizontally as well as vertically, I just think that's going to open a lot more layers up in the defense and stuff, and I think that it'll allow this offense to be a lot more effective, especially when you have a guy like Nathan Elliott. You know, he's talked about, you know, how he's improved on the deep ball so much, and he, he definitely has, just from when I've been around him and watched him during practices, he definitely seems like he has improved in that area, and with him being able to hit those short throws, those intermediate routes as well as he, as he does, I think that'll allow this offense to be a lot more dynamic, kind of open up a little bit more than it was last year.
1: For most of last year, it seemed like the defense was taking a step in the right direction. Towards the end of the year, I think the run defense tailed off just a little bit. But overall, I still think it was a step in the right direction. How does this defense take another step in the right direction and become a unit that, you know, if they are needed to win a game or two here and there, they can get that job done?
2: I, I think it does all start up front on that side as well on the defensive line. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, it's an experienced group on that defensive line. And I feel like a lot of those guys, you know, they've heard all those questions. I mean, it's been a common question surrounding UNC football for at least – I mean, not, gosh, I don't know how many years, but a lot in a row. Yeah. It's about whether that team can hold up in, uh, in the running game and saying the run. And I think – I've noticed it more with this year's group about how maybe like they're kind of ready to, you know, rid themselves of that narrative. And I think that they, I mean, obviously there's a lot of guys who have a lot to prove on this team after last year. And they're very, you know, driven by what happened last year. But I think that that D-line specifically is ready kind of to really step up this year. And, like, it's been common talk for a while now, so we'll have to see if it happens. But uh, I mean, it hurts, you know, not having Aaron Crawford out there. But I think, you know, a like guy like I mentioned, Jason Strobridge, I mean, Jalen Dalton he's healthy, and uh, I think that that line is something that can, you know, really make or break, you know, how this defense performs as a whole this season. The linebackers themselves, I know there's a lot of questions surrounding them, mm-hmm. but I think that as long as that defensive line is kind of giving them that room to kind of move around in space, I think that I, I think that they're going to hold up well as well.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you there, and I think that's kind of where it starts. you right up front for sure. You know, you look at some of the guys that have headlined fall camp, and, and it's really been the big names guys like Anthony Ratliff Williams, Antonio, uh, or uh, yeah, Antonio Williams as well. But who is that breakout guy that right now really a lot of people aren't talking about, but you feel by the end of the year, people will know that person's name?
2: It's kind of tough because all the people who I would typically mention are starting to get their attention this week. Um, <laughs> but I would I would definitely say, I mean, his name's been thrown around here and there over the past couple of weeks. But one of the guys who's probably impressed me the most in terms of under the radar, I guess, is uh, Jeremiah Dimmel. I mean, I've been very impressed by him. It'll be interesting to see what sort of role he has, because I feel like, you know, we kind of have an understanding as of right now of who those three starting linebackers are going to be. Um, with Dominic Cross getting probably the majority of the snaps ahead Mm -hmm. of Mm
0: Gemmell.
2: But, I mean, Gemmel has been highly impressive to me, especially it's amazing just kind of to watch him in pass coverage, just the way he's able to move around the field. I mean, he's so athletic and I mean, Dominic Gross he was actually talking to me yesterday about just, you know, his abilities in pass uh, in pass coverage, like just how much better he's gotten over that with that over the past year, as he's kind of acclimated to his surroundings and everything after the redshirt year last year. So he's a guy who I'm extremely high on. And it's, I would have two other ones. I mean, the two guys who I've been talking about for a while now but who have really been drawing a lot of reviews recently have been Javante Williams and Jason Strobridge. I think both of them are in for really big years. I mean, Jason Strobridge, you know, he's up about 20 to 25 pounds. And the thing that's just so crazy about it is, like, you know, he's so much bigger, but he's still just as explosive as he was last year before that. So I think that he's going to have a really big role along that defensive line.
1: Yeah, I really like that Gemmel pick right there because I've seen, you know, tons of photos and videos of him in, in practice just doing a great job in pass coverage like you mentioned. And um I've heard his his tackling is, is staying up to speed. So yeah, he could have a good impact as that rotational linebacker. So uh yeah, I won't uh I, I won't go into any of the other season prediction things. So um yeah, I know uh are you uh you flying out to Berkeley, um today or tomorrow?
2: I, I am not going out there. I'm actually gonna be Pulling down in here this weekend uh, for some UNC volleyball, but uh, I'll be in uh, I'll be at ECU next Saturday for sure.
1: All right, Pat, sounds great, man. So uh, yeah, I know we're all looking forward to the season. It's only two days away, and that's amazing. So uh, I want to thank you for coming on, and as always, man, you know you're invited anytime back that you want to come back on.
2: Absolutely, thanks a lot for having me on, man.
1: All right, yeah, man, you take care. All right. You too. To close out this season preview edition of the podcast, we turn to the hosts of the Heel Tough Vlog Podcast, Zach Hubbard, who joined me earlier this year as my co-host when we started the Heel Tough Vlog Podcast, jumped on as both him and I give our predictions for what we foresee in this upcoming season for the Tar Heels. I'll ask you these questions that I've asked every other guest that we've had on, that you guys have heard me ask every other guest, you know, earlier in this podcast. You know, and it starts. I, it, we looked at last year's offense, the numbers were nowhere near what we've seen in the past, especially for a Larry Fedora led offense. My question to you is, what does this team have to do to return to that offense that maybe not necessarily was they, they don't have to be as good as the 2015 group? I don't think, but what do they have to do to return to that offense? that you can feel confident can win games for you?
8: I think so. the biggest thing for me offensively is diversity. This 2018 UNC offense has got to both run and pass the football effectively as to not become one-dimensional, because I think that in various times last year, that could become an issue. And in various times in the past, and for other teams, that becomes an issue. I mean, as a general idea, you want to be – able to do multiple things on offense as not to kind of put yourself in a box. I think that that is ultimately important for this UNC team, not only to keep the defense off, um, honest, um, but also because this, as I said, this team has tons of talent, uh, both that will help in the run game and in the pass game at, at the running backs and at the wide receivers. So I think that they have to find ways to let your skilled players make plays and that's going to happen through diversity of play calling by diversity of um kind of to how the offense works um i think that they're going to have to throw in some kind of unique um sets in this year one thing that i really liked that you mentioned were the two running back sets i think that's a great idea and mm. a little bit of it last year but I'd like to see a little bit more of it this year, a little bit more consistently used by this offense. I think you're going to see those two running back sets. I think you're going to see four wide receiver sets. And I think that those are all good ways that UNC can give defense a variety of looks that doesn't allow defenses to settle in and get comfortable with anything. I think that that's the main focus for UNC's offense, is to make opposing defenses uncomfortable.
1: So then you turn away from the offensive side of the ball and you look at the defensive side of the ball. Look, this unit as a whole, I thought, took a step forward last year. Now, there were some concerns with the passing defense, which, you know, kind of sort of regressed just a little bit. But I think the run defense showed some signs of of having that ability to, you know, sort of contain – the run game, which they were not able to do in 2015 and 16. You know, you look at it this year. How does this defense take that next step towards becoming a unit that could at least, you know, win this team a game or two?
8: I think the two things that this defense has to do, two things that in my mind are tied for most important, and these are things that defenses generally have to do, is
1: that the defense has to create what, people in the industry and people that look at advanced statistics
8: call it havoc plays. Those are tackles for loss. Those are sacks. Those are turnovers. Those are passes deflected. They, they have to affect plays more than just being out there and being a body on the field. They have to make the offense make mistakes. I think that that's key. And that's something that the defense was somewhat lacking last year. There was not many turnovers. There were, tackles for loss and there were sacks but you would like to see an increase in that there were not um there were passes deflected, as we mentioned specifically from you know mj stewart and kj sales um but then that leads to my next point is that this defense cannot allow as many what um the defensive staff caused catastrophic plays which Mm -hmm. are offensive plays that are i believe over 35 yards They cannot have those because those killed the defense last year. And those kill your momentum in games. I mean, once you give up plays that big, you've essentially allowed all the momentum to go to your opponent's offense. And if they don't score on that play, it's very likely that after a play like that, that they score on that drive. So those two things is really creating sort of disruption, Uh, overall in the defense, and then not allowing those big plays. I think those are the two keys for the UNC defense this year.
1: So now, you know, let's turn to the breakout player, because everybody likes, you know, everybody's talking about Anthony Ratliff-Williams. Everybody's been talking about guys like Antonio Williams. Who is the guy that really, at this point, nobody's really talking about, but you've kind of looked at on, you know, maybe, you know, through some of the other journalists or really just looked at on this roster and said, you know what? I think he's going to have a big impact and people are going to know his name by the end of the year. Well, because people are certainly talking about uh, the starting
8: wide receivers and the starting running backs, I'm going to go, I think for three potential guys that I would see as breakout players on this offense. And those would be, um, true freshman running back Javante Williams and then two offensive linemen in uh, William Sweet and J.J. McCargo. Mm -hmm. Javante Williams has gotten nothing but praise from uh, this UNC staff this offseason as a true freshman that has come in and really has shown maturity and has learned the playbook and adds another element to this running game. But I think more likely the breakout players we see are – two guys that had to leave last year due to injury but had very promising sort of games when they were playing were William Sweet at left tackle and J.J. Mm-hmm. McCargo at center. I think those are two guys that you can see really make a name for themselves in the ACC this year and then really push for that sort of all ACC or NFL potential in the future. I think, like you mentioned, I think William Sweet, though he's not had a lot of playing time, he He's shown that, I, I believe, and I think you believe as well, that this could be an NFL guy. He certainly yeah. has all the measurables uh, in terms of what you like to see from an NFL offensive tackle. He certainly shows he can be rangy. He can move. He's got good feet. So I think probably William Sweet or JJ McCargo are going to be your breakout players on offense.
1: So then, you know, you turn and, and you look. I don't know if you're a guy that's a record prediction type guy. I, I'm one of those guys. I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, "Nah, we we don't do that. We don't do those record predictions." Um, I know like, you know, one of the most hated men in sports radio, Colin Cowherd, is like that. But um, you know, I, I'm one of those guys. Uh, if if you're not, you know, just kind of give me what what is your record or what is your like win total look like for this team this year.
8: Uh, My win total for this year, uh, I would say that UNC is probably either within the range of a five or eight win team. I I think there is going to be improvement from last year. Um, My record as of right now is what I would predict is probably about seven and five for this UNC team, probably about five and three within the conference, which would be good Mm -hmm. by my predictions for about third in the Coastal, which is really what you like to see after being... Right. You know, I believe we were sixth or seventh last year, so I think there there will certainly be improvement. I don't think that it's going to be a come from behind, you know, eight or nine win season, but mm-hmm. I do think that UNC will be a bold team this year. I think that they're going to have, you know, some good wins to build on for the future. I think that Larry Fedora will kind of um, reestablish himself after kind of what is a mulligan year last year with all the injuries. Uh, Mainly because he has to. I mean, if if you look at how people have discussed it, and and I don't know really how the administration's feeling is about it, uh, and certainly with the buyout that he has, but there has been talk about Larry having somewhat of a hot seat and the idea of, well, is is he the right guy for this job? And I, I think that kind of the barrier for him this year is going to be bowl eligibility, and I think he makes that. And really, I think that this year is a transitional year to build to the future. If you look at this team, it's got a fair amount of young um, up-and-comers on it, either freshmen or redshirt freshmen or sophomores that I think can be really good players down the line. So, you know, not not an eight or nine win, certainly not a you know a coastal – contender, at least from what we're seeing right now. But a solid team in the Coastal, probably right there in the middle, and then probably hopefully a solid bowl team.
1: Well, you went into it a little bit right there, but it's the final question that I have on here, and I kind of want a yes or no answer here. At the start of the 2019 season, basically where we're sitting at today, do you think Larry Fedora is the head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels?
5: Well, based on
8: my prediction, uh, I'll just go into more detail, I guess, about my prediction for UNC just to give some context to that. Right. Um, I have them going 7-5. and five. Uh, I have them beating ECU and Western. Those are kind of the easier games on the schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in terms of those five losses, I have them losing to Cal. I have them losing to Miami. I have them losing to Virginia Tech. I have them losing to UCF, and then finally, and dare I say, unfortunately, I have them losing to NC State. But I do have them getting wins against um, a pretty decent Syracuse team, UVA, Pitt, uh, a pretty decent Georgia Tech team, and Mm. then, of course, Duke, which is at least one of the in-state teams. So do I think this is going to be the ideal year for Carolina fans? I probably would not say that, but I do think that there will be various aspects within the season that UNC fans can hang their hat on and say, there is improvement. This is not the team that is a three and nine clunker in the ACC coastal. This is still a team that is building year after year after year to hopefully contend for an ACC coastal division title like we did in the past couple of years. So I think this is about a mid-level team, probably three third or fourth in the ACC coastal. Um, not any sort of national contender, not an 8- or 9-win team, but not a bad team either. And I think that what UNC really needs to prepare for is hoping to win that bowl game. I think that that's going to be huge. Uh, UNC hasn't won a bowl game since 2013, so yep. that's absolutely enormous that they get over that hump. And then, of course, the two in-state games against Duke and NC State are big. I think they go about 1-1 one and one in those Hopefully they go 2-0. I think the biggest thing for this season is that a lot of the games that they play are single-score games. Uh, there's probably about two games on this season that I see being more than two-score games decided by it. Those would probably be UCF and Miami, just based on the talent they have. But right. pretty much every other game is within a score. Close games, single-digit games. So, it's certainly not impossible that UNC goes eight and four. It would be great if they did. I am not really ready to make that prediction right now. I'm gonna go with seven and five. but I think that UNC fans should be happy with seven and five because I think that the talent and the way that the team is set up now is built towards kind of that you know ACC coastal runs in 2019 and 2020 as we saw with the 2015 and 2016 teams.
1: All right. Yeah. So, uh, great stuff from Zach. Um, I'll let you go, man. Uh, it's getting pretty late. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, great, great stuff, man. And and good stuff to hear about this team this year. I think, uh, everybody can hear it. You are excited about this team as are we. And, uh, I think we're just ready to get it underway.
0: All right. Sounds good.
1: Yeah, man. All right. So, um, you know, So so we heard from Zach there and now, you know, I'm going to give you my prediction and I'm going to go through and I'm going to do each question by question. You know, you you look and you start out, like I said, what is this, you know, how does this offense get back to the level that it was? How does it get back to a level of a team that is, uh, you know, able to win games? You know, when I look at it, I think it starts with the running game. There's so much talent here. Run that football. Run it to open up that passing game, especially that deep passing game. And see, that's my other key. I think there's two keys. As I, didn't, I should have probably let off with that, but there are two keys to this team returning to that level. Running the football successfully, Michael Carter, Jordan Brown are going to lead that unit. But with Antonio Williams, with a guy like Javante Williams, who has broken out as well, It's important for this unit to have success running the football. That starts up front with the offensive line. The offensive line has to get the job done. I feel that they've got the talent and I feel that they can do it. It's just, you know, getting out there and actually putting what you've done so far in the fall to work. And I think if they are able to do that, that will open up the passing game. It will also give this team what they haven't had in a while, which is a good running game. They really haven't had that outside of the 2015 year. It's pretty hard to think of a year that they've had a great running game without Giovanni Bernard or the one year with Elijah Hood. So, you know, to to be able to have that with the amount of depth that they would have would be humongous. I think the deep passing game is important, as I said, because really since Matt Collins has left, it has not been there. And that was one of the greatest things about that 2015 and early 2016 offense, is that you had the ability to take the top off of defenses, which opened up that shorter passing game for you, allowed guys like Ryan Switzer, like Bug Howard, like Quinsha Davis to be effective because defenses knew that you couldn't bring your safeties up to try to protect against that short passing game because Mack Hollins would burn you over the top or even Bug Howard occasionally would burn you over the top. They really haven't had that these last... I'd say this last year and a half, um, and they've got to find that guy. I think diami Brown could be that guy. I think Antoine, Antoine Green could potentially be that guy as well. If they are able to find that guy, I think this offense can return to a group that can not only win this team games. I think if they're able to find that deep passing guy, they can return to a team that could score 34 or 35 points a game, which would be immaculate. When you turn to the defensive side of the ball, as I said, it took a step last year. I thought at least in the run game, it did. In the passing game, it took a little bit of a step backwards. But overall, I think it was a step forward for the defense. In order to take that next step, this team has to be able to rush the passer number one. That's what's going to start everything. That's what's going to make everything go smoothly. Getting after the passer or being effective in that run defense, those guys in the middle have to be able to force that ball to the outside, force that ball carrier to the edge, make those linebackers make the tackles. I think there is some talent there, especially tackling-wise in that linebacking core. It's just, you know, you've got to be able to set them up in situations where they're able to drop guys for a loss. Talking about those Havoc plays, like Zach mentioned earlier, but... In the passing game, you got to be able to get pressure. It's going to be on guys like Malik Carney when he's available, Timon Fox when he's available, Tyrone Hopper when he's available, Alan Cater, Tyler Powell. You know, some of these guys, maybe even on the interior, guys like Jalen Dalton who showed that ability to rush the passer from the defensive tackle position. You got to get after the passer. Make these quarterbacks uncomfortable, make them have to make superstar plays. I mean, that's kind of what you've got to do, especially in the ACC. And the quarterbacks that the Tar Heels are facing this year are not, the, it's not the toughest slate that you could have to deal with. So if you get after the passer, I'm telling you, Things will go their way. And number two is going to be to create turnovers. This team has seemed to lose the ability to create turnovers ever since that 2015 team. That was what they did so well. That 11-win team was just able to turn the ball over so many times, especially in crucial moments. They have lost that ability the last two years. 2016 won interception the entire season. Last year, seven. Not the greatest number, but an improvement. This year, I want to see that number reach double digits, or if you're not going to intercept the ball, cause fumbles. You've got to create turnovers because, especially back in 2016, Mitch Trubisky did such a great job taking care of the football. The entire team did such a great job of taking care of the football, and the team still lost the turnover battle. Trubisky threw single-digit interceptions and they still lost that turnover battle. With as much as Mitch Trubisky threw the ball, that is head-scratching to say the least. They've got to be able to turn the football over. If they do, it will not only set this offense up in great position, you can potentially score points on defense that could help your team to win some of those close games that Zach talked about. I turn to my breakout player. You know, every as I've said, the big names, we've heard all the guys that have been mentioned so far on this podcast. I'm going with a completely different guy from everybody else. Although I like everybody else's pick, the guy that I think has the breakout season this year and goes Off, I think, is J.K. Britt. That is my guy, the strong safety who's going to start this year. He showed a little bit of it last year. This is finally his job. He will have a sensational year. Mark it down right now. I am saying he will at least be an All-ACC second-team player at the strong safety position. I love everything about J.K. Britt. I think he is a fantastic tackler, very similar to what we saw from Donnie Miles. But the difference between Donnie Miles and J.K. Britt is is that J.K. Britt has the ability to play as that deep protection safety, something we did not see from Donnie Miles. He's going to have those ball skills that are going to be necessary to be a pass coverage safety. And I don't think Donnie Miles really had that the last couple of years. I think teams knew they could pick a little bit on Donnie Miles. And that's not to say anything bad about Donnie Miles, because I thought Donnie Miles was a great player for Carolina. I just think that J.K. Britt is at a little bit of a different level, and he will have that breakout season for the Tar Heels. Turning to the official record prediction, I will go game by game for you guys and kind of break down where exactly I see this team. You know, you look, of course, with the first game against Cal, on the road at California, I don't think it's going to be easy. I look at it as right now, it could be close, but I would lean probably Cal. On the road at ECU. I'm going to go e- I'm gonna go with us beating ECU, even though we've had our struggles against them. I don't think this game is going to be as big of a blowout as a lot of people think. But I think we get to one and one. Central Florida, a big game at home to start the season. A game that I feel is going to have a fantastic environment because of the special that they put on the seats uh, back a couple of weeks ago. $23 seats, I'm telling you. That game is going to be raucous. I think these guys are ready to go. This crowd is ready to go. I think it's going to be really interesting as a home opener. Central Florida is extremely talented. It's a close game, but I probably have to go with Central Florida. Pittsburgh at home on the 22nd. Larry has not lost to Pittsburgh since they've entered the ACC. He will not lose to Pittsburgh. This time either, getting the team to 2-2. Two and two. Turning to the 27th, just five days after that pit game, the team goes on the road to Miami. While they have had a lot of success against Miami, that's been one of the teams that Larry has always given fits to, including last season. Miami, I think, is just a little bit too talented, and I would probably lean Miami, especially on the short week. Then we have a bye week before we welcome in Virginia Tech on October 13th. Tough game. Virginia Tech is an extremely talented team, although I think this game will be closer than some of the last few meetings that we've seen outside of the 2015 season when we went on the road and beat them in Blacksburg. I think this one's close, but I would probably lean Virginia Tech because I do think that they are the team that is the biggest threat to Miami in the Coastal. Then we go on the road at Syracuse, a game that I kind of was back and forth on, but I think is going to be the crucial point of the season for the Tar Heels. At this point, I have them sitting at 2-4. and four. I would say they win on the road at Syracuse against Eric Dungy and the Orange. I think the defense for Syracuse won't be enough to contain this offense for Carolina, and this could be the point of the schedule where the Tar Heels get rolling. At Virginia, I think we are miles more talented than Virginia. I don't think Virginia is really that good at all. Um, according to their head coach, they're not. He says there's only 27 cal- ACC caliber players on the entire team. We, I think on the road there, yeah, they beat us in our place last year, but I've got a feeling that this year will be a little bit different. That's one of those teams that we will want to get revenge on, and I think we do. Four and four we had back home to face Georgia Tech. Larry has really picked it up against Georgia Tech after we had that stretch uh, with the the Butch Davis era and the early Larry era where we just weren't able to beat them. I think this defense has what it takes to beat them, and I'm actually going to take us to beat them because I think... If we are able to slow down that run, it will force them to pass the football, and Taquan Marshall is not a good passer of the football. I think we are able to slow down the run enough. I think this offense hits a little bit of a rhythm by that point, and I think we get to 5-4. and four. I then turn to the Duke game on the road at Duke, a tough place to go in and play. We've had so many close calls against that team. I look at it right now. I like what the what our team does against them. I think we're able to match up well with them, but that's one of those games where I just don't know at this point if we're able to pull out the victory because of the coach on the other sideline. I'm actually going to give the win, unfortunately, to the Duke Blue Devils because I think David Cutcliffe has that coaching edge in that game, although I think that will be very close, and you better believe on game week I will probably be predicting that we will beat them. Western Carolina, at home, I think it's an easy victory just like last year. That's the one game on the schedule that I am comfortable saying will be a complete blowout. I think every other game has the potential to be a little bit close, even that ECU game, as I mentioned. And then at home against State, we come in with a 6-5 and five record. I think we beat the NC State Wolfpack at home. It's been a, a monkey that's kind of been on Larry Fedora's back here these last couple of years. And this year, I think it will be a lot different. I think the emotions will be running high. Dave Doran is a guy that has, you know, from what we've seen, he has been not, he's been running his mouth over there in Raleigh. And at this point, I think Larry Fedora and this team will be fired up. I'm going to give the win to the Tar Heels. And I think they finish the season seven and five. They will go to a bowl game. And I think there, you know, we will have to wait and see who the opponent is. But the fact that they do reach a bowl game, I think will be enough to keep Larry Fedora around. I think at the start of the 2019 season, Larry Fedora is, in fact, the head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels. But if he does not reach a bowl game, if he does go five and seven or below that, Larry Fedora, I think, could be on his way out of Chapel Hill. Thank you for listening to the Heel Tough blog podcast season preview edition. I want to thank all of the journalists who took time out of their busy schedules to give you guys some of the best insight about the team we love. Check out the California preview with Zach and I, which should be up sometime on Thursday or Friday, and the position by position breakdown part two with myself and Zach, which should be posted within the same time frame. Also, keep an eye out for an interview with Jeff Greenberg of Under the Headset and Inside the ACC, who is unfortunately not able to get on in time for this episode, but will hop on with us to talk some Tar Heel football before the season starts. As always, subscribe to the podcast on Spreaker, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, the TuneIn app, or TuneIn.com. Check out the blog on Medium.com. Just type in HeelToughBlog. That will do it for this season preview edition of the podcast. Thank you once again for listening, and as always, go Tar Heels!